Hey, you, kid, get in here. Who, me? Yeah, you. We got a lot of mysteries on our hands, and we need to discuss them. Oh, Are you boy. ready? Oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, gosh, I think I am. Here's the deal, kid. I want you to talk about mysteries every week, and I'll give you uh, $5 plus expenses. $5? But my rent is 35 a week. You press a hard bargain. It's $4. No expenses. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> what do I have to do? Take pictures of mysteries? Not any pictures. Terrible pictures. Out of focus pictures. I'd go so far as to call them blurry photos. Done! <laughs> Hello and welcome to Blurry Photos. What's up, everybody? I'm David Flora. And I'm Dave Stecco. Welcome to another episode. Uh, a very got, special episode. We got a great episode yeah, going, yeah. But but not we're not not like a very special, like none of us got touched by a gym teacher. Right, right. We didn't try cigarettes. You're not going to learn anything about drugs. You <laughs> might learn maybe. something about drugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we can only promise that some of you will jump out of a window after this. Yeah. But you know, it only is a cautionary tale. You'll be in the hospital and you'll be able to explain to all your peers how what a dumb person you were. Gosh. And then you'll go on to semi success. That's right. But and, the, the And take your clothes off. <laughs> Isn't that the same person? I don't know. Wasn't she in Showgirls? Oh I don't Whatever. How, hey. How much how much <laughs> saved by the bell do you hang on me? <laughs> do I have that look about me? <laughs> No, uh, no. The the sweet drug that we're going to expose you to is one Mr. Kenneth Height. Oh boy, we have a guest today. That our is, first guest ever. I, it's our first guest. It's a it's our first interview episode, and mm-hmm. uh, this isn't even with a, a janky over the over the airwaves kind of thing. Ken is in this room right yep. now talking to us. Yep, he's breathing our air. We had to get an it's extra really starting mic. To piss me off the way he's breathing all our air. <laughs> This thing's a premium. You don't want to breathe, don't have it floating around. <laughs> Lock your air down, sir. Yeah. It's just going all over the place. So, Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, man, it's our pleasure. Now, Ken, you are uh, you are quite an accomplished author, as well as being quite the moving force in the uh, role-playing games community. Why don't you go ahead and um, tell us some of your accomplishments? <laughs> well, um, I've uh, been writing mostly role-playing games uh, as a full-time writer, for the last uh, 20-odd years, uh, I've wrote uh, Trail of Cthulhu and Knights Black Agents for Pelgrane Press. I wrote a bunch of World of Darkness, Old World of Darkness, and New World of Darkness material for White Wolf. I've written GURPS, Alternate Earths, GURPS, Infinite Worlds, two editions of GURPS Horror. Some uh, Weird World? Some Weird, uh, weird War? Weird War 2. Yeah. GURPS, World War 2, Weird War 2. <laughs> use its full... <laughs> frog strangling yeah. and, and who, who wouldn't if you hate yourself yeah. yes you could sure. do that why not and I've also uh, written a column for uh, about 10 years in Pyramid Magazine that was called Suppressed Transmissions which is sort of the blurry photos only without the photos nice it's right. just so blurry just the transmissions <laughs> And it's hard because you did a really good job of, of writing in Irish accents to your column. I mean, it's, it really is pretty much our podcast writ. Yeah, well, that's that's the goal, right? Was to prefigure you guys and then, you know. Yeah, well, we didn't have a choice on account of our illiteracy. We just had to go straight for recording. Well, that's good. That, yeah. You know, you, you, you know you, you, life gives you lemons. <laughs> go around and beg someone for water and sugar. That's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's how yeah. we do it. Yeah. So uh, today we're going to be talking about... Uh, Nazis and the occult, which we've had a lot of podcasts in the past that have kind of ended up here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, lots of stuff touches touches the old Nazi world, and uh, uh, Ken actually has a book coming out uh, in uh, in about a week. I hope everything goes well with this episode. That that statement is true. Um, but coming out on June eighteenth, uh, the Nazi occult 
uh, by Osprey Press, right? It's, yeah, from uh, the Military History Publishers, Osprey uh, Publishing. Publishing. Uh, they have uh, something like a thousand titles at Backstock, most of them things like the uh, uh, Italian forces of the Eastern front, 1942 <laughs> to 1944. I read that in junior high. That's a good one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> they've just got a new line. Of, the myth one? Uh, of myth and adventures. Oh man, that one looks so cool. And I, so I saw the, that. Uh, the, the Osprey dark, which this is either the first or the second book in the series, depending on how you read it. Uh, Nazi occult is the, is, is sort of a kickoff for that part of the sort of the myth and adventures. So they're moving from pure history into things that history has been used uh, for entertainment purposes. Nice. Yeah. There's well, a whole book on Thor. They got a book on uh, Horace and Set coming out. I, I saw this on on the website. It looks it looks for pretty freaking yeah, it's, cool. Yeah, it's pretty great. They got a book on Dragon Slayers that's, mm. that's just come out. Lots of good stuff. And I don't know if people understand how much you love Thor, Laura. I Thor Thor's one of my faves. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty into Thor. Pretty, I'm, I'm, pretty into I'm, Thor. Thor. I don't want to sound gay or nothing. But <laughs> Thor's, Thor's pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> So let's let's dive in. Uh, I, you know, we we did some research on this uh, this week, and I'm I was most impressed by like block zero, Hitler pretty ambivalent to the occult. Yeah, to, as far as anyone knows, and obviously we have only his written work and recordings of his speeches and uh, things like that to go on. He really didn't buy any of it. He believed in uh, what's called the Horbigerian theory of astronomy which is crank science, but not technically mysticism. It's just wrong. <laughs> and I think he mostly just did it because he, uh, he, it sort of appealed to his sense of the operatic, his notion that the world ought to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But, for example, his race prejudice was not necessarily mystical so much as it was, you know, his understanding of, of Darwin and how evolution worked. More reason-based, you know, right? Yeah, it, it was scientific and it was philosophical. His, notion of, of, uh, his notions of Nietzsche and Schopenhauer also drove him towards those kind of, uh, of understandings, as well as, you know, his political belief that uh, the Jews were behind the parties that he hated, and so therefore, right. take them out, you take out the support of those parties. But he, doesn't, he didn't have an occult uh, uh, sensibility, he hated, uh, he, he made fun of astrologers, he didn't believe in Atlantis, or if, he, or if he did, he accepted it as a historical event that had no meaning in the modern era. He didn't believe in reincarnation or any of that. He was... A relatively pragmatic uh, street fighting uh, guy who didn't have any particularly occult uh, tendencies. Just a, just your regular button down um, genocidal lunatic. Just exactly. <laughs> yes. But uh, the thing you have to remember is he's not the only guy in the milieu, and he's not the only guy in the Nazi Party. Right. So the Nazi movement, by contrast to Hitler, comes out of a broader mystical, or at least. Um, romantic conception of German nationhood and German, uh, uh, you know, race consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's something that every culture was developing in the 19th century, right? You had, uh, you know, uh, the British Folklore Society going around and finding their old British folklore and talking about how, you know, the Saxons and the Normans were, you know, uh, the the two strands that made Britain great. And you had the Russians uh, rediscovering their own uh, folk epics. You had Elias Lonrot uh, basically sort of cobbling together the Kalevala from all of Finland's uh, various uh, epic poem tradition. Every culture in Europe was developing this same sort of mystical notion of itself as a nation. And this this was in uh, the, the mid to late 30s? This was in the 19th century. And this this 19th century notion then gets driven farther in Germany because Germany spe- is so late becoming a nation. It doesn't become a unified country until 1871. Mm-hmm. And so 
their nationalism has to be sort of one louder and one hmm. more excitable to get everyone's attention. And at the same time that these German nationalist beliefs are coming in, you're having a lot of other uh, occult beliefs that are pouring into popular culture all over, again, all over the Western world. Notions of theosophy, the notion that there are ancient races that uh, died and were replaced by other races. The, the notion, for example, that uh, the Aryan race is the root race of mankind is not something that Hitler came up with, or even Himmler. It's something that was come up with as part of theosophy, the, the mystical sort of half uh, Hinduism, half Darwinism that uh, Madame Blavatsky invented in the 1850s. And so these sorts of intellectual currents are sort of churning around along with a lot of apocalyptic beliefs uh, coming out of the Russian, uh, very far west Russia in uh, the Baltic states, a lot of um, apocalypticism of the sort that, that gave rise to the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion and other sorts of uh, uh, notions of great contests of, of races at the end of time. And these, and a lot of this, like you said, this 19th century investigation of that is going to come back around again. Like you mentioned, uh, uh, Finland and the Kavala, there's going to be a huge part that the Nazis are very directly interested in that. All Absolutely. of that, all yeah. of that research that was done, you know, a hundred, 150 years before is going to come right back around again, as far as being one of their focuses. Right. Yeah. The, the Nazis, uh, not to necessarily jump the gun, but the Nazis obviously tried to put these sorts of romantic and nationalist notions on a scientific basis. Uh, for, uh, again, science is is overstating what actually happened, but they believed yeah. that it was a scientific basis <laughs> because they believed that there could be a science of, for example, alphabets, and that if you could sort of map the evolutionary tree of alphabets, it would all come back to German runes. And therefore, every German rune must have a coded nest of meanings, and that this coded nest, nest of meanings, again, leaving all mysticism out of it, this coded nest of meetings would let you reconstruct what ancient proto-Germanic life must have been like for the Aryan master race when it descended down out of the glaciers or wherever. <laughs> and this, again, and then once you start tacking on mysticism, the notion that runes are magical, the runes were given to us by Odin, that the runes uh, channel some sort of arcane or occult power, that's when you start getting the birth of uh, occult Nazism. So if Hitler, not really interested in it. Yeah. So, so how did how did the Nazi Party get into that area then? Obviously, you know Hitler's got a lot of people under him. How did the Nazi Party and the SS start shifting into that 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 area of, of research? Well, the the occultism predates the Nazi Party. The Nazi Party began as the workers' outreach group of a group of rich Freemasons who called themselves the Thule Bruderschaft. Rich Freemasons? How yes. could that go wrong? Right, <laughs> or the Thule Gesellschaft, technically, and the Thule Gesellschaft or Thule Society were people who were descended from a pre-World War I Masonic order that was, as Masonic orders were, having fights with all the other Masonic orders as to who was the most ancient <laughs> and most descended from the Templars. I heard Mexico City had a really sweet crew at that time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah they, they, they rolled. <laughs> but, uh, but the Thule guys were a splinter from an older group called the Armanenschaft. The Armanen were the, the name given by these rune scholars to the ancient Aryan magical priesthood. And so if you are the Armanenschaft, you are the descendants of the ancient Ar uh, Aryan priest lords. And therefore you're saying, because we're so mystical, we should run Germany, basically. Right. Yeah. My, my ancestors were all priests and, and warriors, too. They, they had warriors in there, too. We were making lightning guns and flying through the air with our super hammers. So, yeah, this is yeah, pretty much... I, I don't know what, what you're doing with your school society, too. <laughs> I, you are, you are, are fake. We've earned this. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is on a blog. If, if you think you have earned it, then maybe you should have a worker's auxiliary like we have. <laughs> Nine. Awesome fun. Nine. <laughs> so the Thule Society, because they were um, they were they were uh, rich guys and they were very connected to the Masonic movement in especially in Munich, they had strong connections into the bourgeois society and into sort of the old rich, uh, not necessarily the, the old aristocracy, but some of the aristocracy of Bavaria. But what they didn't have was any connection to the working class. And they... Who you know, wants that? Well, since they <laughs> had just dirty. gone through a communist revolution in Bavaria... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much yeah, everybody. Okay. <laughs> During which uh, something like five or six of their top men were executed by the communists, they felt that perhaps to prevent such an untoward occasion happening again, they should hook themselves up with a working class uh, auxiliary, basically. Put on your hip boots, friend. It's time (laughs) to get dirty, Mr. People. That's right. Yes, you, you as a dentist, you have touched their mouths. You must go among them. <laughs> yeah. May I borrow Tell us your... what it's like. What is that hitty thing? Oh, the, a hammer, that's right. Oh, may I touch, please? <laughs> it's not a ceremonial hammer. It actually hits things. <laughs> yeah, that, never mind. I don't need to touch no, it. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> so the, um, uh, they sent a guy named Anton Drexler to recruit a uh, working class... Great James Bond yes. villain name. Well, I, I was thinking Portland Trailblazers. It could be either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, just because the guy plays for the Trailblazers doesn't mean he can't be a James Bond villain. Yeah. Although Anton the Glide Drexler doesn't just doesn't flow as well. Well, again, that could be any number of different career paths open to again, true. Anton the Glide Drexler. Thanks, Internet. No thanks. Yeah. So he's sent down to sort of start a workers' auxiliary, and uh, Adolf Hitler, who at the time was a unemployed corp- uh, former corporal in the German army is picking up a couple of nickels as a army spy who goes around and goes to political meetings and then goes back and tells the army if any of them are dangerous. Again, given that the communists just took over the place and had a bunch of people executed, the army would like to not see that happen again. Yeah. Mm. Hitler goes to the meeting of this National Socialist Party and says, oh, these guys, they know what's going on. They get Also, <laughs> there's only 50 of them. I think I could take over. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, Hitler basically sort of stops sending reports back to the army and takes over the workers' auxiliary of the Thule Gesellschaft. And because it, again, is the one that is actually doing anything with the, the vast majority of people in Munich, that's what gets all the power. And the Thule Gesellschaft rapidly sort of recedes into the, uh, into the backdrop as Germany becomes once again a mass democracy in which mass movements are important. Not a bunch of uh, nerds in tailcoats. <laughs> Stupid nerds in tailcoats. Won't you ever try, learn? Trying to bring that back, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting there. Tailcoats coming back. Any day now. <laughs> um, you know what? Handlebar mustaches, that's that's the canary in your coal mine right there. That's right. That's <laughs> the next step. Yeah. We, we turn <laughs> around. <and> Hipsters. <laughs> once they start eating an entire ox at dinner like Diamond Jim Brady. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Diamond Jim Oh, man. Yeah. Artisanal beers and uh, handlebar mustaches. That's right. You've been warned, society. Yeah, you you thought the Civil War was bad last time. (laughs) Oh, man. I think that if it's it's at the hands of hipsters, it will be um, delightfully brief. It'll be locally sourced. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Everyone's going to have fixie rifles. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that's what they had, right? Yeah. Those fancy breech-loading repeaters were for, you know, losers. Everyone had (laughs) them. Yeah. Uh, Rifles with no gears. <laughs> Don't want them. No thanks. You mean you have to use your hands? That's like a baby's toy. Oh, man. What is that? Back to the Future? Two. 
Nice. Well played. <laughs> so now we've got Hitler. He's got himself uh, a people's movement. He's got himself mm-hmm. 50 people. Right. He's, got some, he's got a groundswell. Yes. Mm-hmm. And into that burgeoning uh, Nazi party comes Heinrich Himmler. And Heinrich Himmler is bug f***. He is crazy. <laughs> yeah. He is... He believes in everything and twice on Tuesdays. He believes in reincarnation. He believes in uh, clairvoyance. He believes in Atlantis. He believes in rune magic. He believes in uh, Thor. He believes in magic hammers. He believes in super weapons. You name it, Himmler believes in it. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know how he came to all these beliefs? Because he was raised Catholic, right? Uh, He was raised Catholic, but he very rapidly... I think part of it was World War One sort of knocked a lot of people out of their old religious uh, beliefs. Yeah, I think I think there is actually a cloud over Europe that says, "Where's your God now?" For about ten years. Yeah, and yeah. also and it was um, a lot too. of people who are raised Catholic, even in nineteenth-century Germany, react badly to that kind of uh, moral instruction and say, "Your morals are crazy. I'd like the morals where I can do anything I want." Yeah, and so Himmler, one of those type of guys. He is, at the same time, exploring Buddhism and other Eastern religions. He's reading um, uh, Hinduism, works of popular Hinduism that have been translated into German. He's <laughs> part of a back-to-the-land movement called the Artamanan, which is not immediately related to the Armanan, but is the same sort of... It's like Boy Scouts, if part of scouting was to go and kill slobs. It's that kind of, you know, wow. uh, back-to-the-land movement. Well, it, it isn't? Not, you, not in America. Okay. You've got yeah. so many badges you've earned. <laughs> So uh, he was just—he was basically just grasping straws at that point. He's just looking for something to, to latch yeah, on to. He's looking for—he's he's very much, you know, your sort of um, uh, new age personality, except it's the old new age, and he's just looking for everything. Yeah, and anything he, that he, he can... you know, if there if there had been UFOs, he would have been into UFOs. If there had been Sasquatch, he would have been into Sasquatch. Himmler was just that kind of guy—the guy who knows that what he was taught is wrong, but. Because that was wrong, everything that it said was wrong must be right. Mm. And that's why he's a vegetarian. That's why he's believing in uh, Atlantis and all kinds of other crazy things. That's why he's you know, willing to commit mass murder to further his political goals. All of that stems out of basically his rejection of his upbringing and then desperately trying to grab a hold of anything that he can believe in yeah. to, to fill that void. Right, he's, yeah. You know, he's interesting. He just, he, and because he's not particularly bright, he never sort of synthesizes it or picks one because there's always a shinier pebble in the road, right? So so in this uh, political odd couple, how do you get these two to be roommates? <laughs> you got you got a Hitler oh, who don't believe nothing. Do not cross this line. And I have then, drawn a line down the middle of the room. And then you've got Himmler with his uh, 1930s version of I want to believe t-shirt on. Mm-hmm. Ich will believen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how do how did you read my penis butter? <laughs> how does how does those fallen glauben? <laughs> that was mine. <laughs> nine, mine, <laughs> nine. Hitler's messy and Himmler's neat. Yeah. <laughs> now, what what, what what happened is, of course, they both believed in this uh, myth of you know literally the myth of the twentieth century, as Alfred Rosenberg's book called it, the notion that. Under the leadership of an inspired elite, the Aryan humanity could rise up and recreate itself. And Aryan humanity is, for the Germans, originally identical to the German nation, but as they start sort of looking at things in a more, uh, one hesitates to say spiritual, but more mystical bent, they say, well, the Norwegians are Aryan and the Flemish are Aryan, and then it becomes a matter of finding Aryans who Mm. you can say, oh, look, it's a piece of lost Aryan humanity and we've added it to our 
to our collection, and and we are going to be able to build the new race, uh, basically uh, genetically on the on the body of the uh, from the body of the old race. Uh, and again, remember, part of what gets Himmler into raising chickens and uh, all this back to the land stuff is the notion of genetic purity, of animal husbandry, of breeding animals back to their original purer form instead of the contemptible form that. Uh, Processed food and the Jews have caused. So yeah, so Himmler's working towards lightning chickens. Exactly. Right. Okay. He's looking I mean, for the lightning chicken. A lot of the stuff sounds like some crap that's going on still today. You know what I mean? I mean, there's the whole there's the whole organic stuff that's that's going on and that caveman diet that's coming out yeah. now. Yeah, I mean the, you know? the thing yeah. is that you know there's only a limited number of ways that anyone can react. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. there's never crazy is crazy. So right. you're just gonna have. Various flavors of unorthodox yeah. are all going to sort of look the same, especially when you're talking about <laughs> the fact that the orthodoxy still pretty much looks like it did in 1930. Yep. You know, we haven't, you know, abandoned, you know, notions of not mass murdering people. Yeah, there's no vaccine for being disenfranchised and weird. Yeah, so. right. So, yeah, I mean, so, so far the vaccine no. is cable television, yeah. and they didn't have that in the 30s. So. So, so, so what Hitler and Himmler have in common is this notion of rebuilding an Aryan nation, a, a nation unified by blood, of unified genetic type, that it's all going to be on the same side, not going to be arguing about whether or not to go to war with France, not going to be bickering about you know uh, the level of welfare payments. Details. Because everyone's going to understand that they are going to be led by the sort of uh, natural leaders that will emerge from this Aryan collective. And the myth of the 20th century is that the swastika will rise, the Aryan nation will rise, and destroy the under people who are all around the Aryan nation. Yes. And that is what Himmler and Hitler both believe. Hitler believes it because he believes it scientifically, he believes it politically, and because he really, really hates people who are better dressed and more successful than him. So could you hear, I don't know if the listeners could hear the asterisk after scientifically. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, keep in mind, this is 1922. This is not now. They don't have DNA they don't have, you know, Louis Leakey has not dug up any fossils in Africa. Yeah. Nobody They're... knows anything. Literally the oldest human remains that they know about are Neanderthals. So as far as they know, humanity was born in Germany, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have any understanding of, uh, of, of our modern notions of mitochondrial DNA or any of that. The notion of biological racism is scientific. It's scientifically accepted in the 1920s. Ernst Haeckel, who is Darwin's like prime disciple, he's like the Richard Dawkins of the 1920s, is a thoroughgoing racial, you know, determinist. Uh, the, the book in, uh, that uh, Scopes has tried for in the Scopes trial, the, the book that he's teaching evolution out of in Tennessee is a book that talks about the evolution of the various human races. Oh. Mm. Yeah. And also a heckle, a real jerk at shows. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Sitting in the yeah. audience. Sitting there making fun of comedians. Yeah, and, you guys yeah. suck. Yeah. Get off the stage. Your, your understanding of biological theory is purely substandard. <laughs> You're barely evolved. You're a lungfish. Yeah. <laughs> nice joke, Madres. <laughs> yeah, and again, I don't know that Heckle had any mystical underpinning because as far as he was concerned, he was just applying Darwin. Yeah, but this is what scientific reasoning meant in the 1920s and 1930s. There were a tiny fraction of American anthropologists had begun to question this based on being from a population of many, many different races Mm -hmm. who were all being raised in general prosperity. And they said, oh, look at this. Here's what causes Italian men to be short and have uh, a different skull arrangement is they're malnourished. If you raise them in America where everyone's eating to repletion, 
oh, looks like they're like everybody else. There are no biological differences between races. <laughs> and so, but this is a, this is something that is being, you know, just barely understood at the fringes of anthropology when Hitler is picking up all of his stuff. I mean, Hitler moves to Vienna the year that Franz Boas does those skull experiments. And so by the time Franz Boas is published, Hitler is, you know, he's all past it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over this. And, and Thank it, God I got out of there without learning that important fact. <laughs> <laughs> that was close. Yeah, and, and again, racial anthropology survives the war. It's, it's oh, Carlton yeah. Kuhn, like, who was one of the top physical anthropologists, was a racial anthropologist, and he was publishing in the 60s. So, you know, I don't particularly mind being unfair to Hitler, but you are being unfair to Hitler when you say he should have known better. No, right. no one knew better in 19... And that's, and that's a hard thing to right. remember, yeah. is, is the, not only the political context, but you're, just like you said, the, the scientific context of the, of the globe, of, of the state of human knowledge at the time, yeah. which is a lot easier to imagine when you think about, oh, the Middle Ages or, you know, or, or, or Egypt. Like, oh, it's, it's easy for us to contextualize a different scientific knowledge, but I mean, these guys have... Have trucks and airplanes, mm -hmm, right? How, yeah. how how do they not see they the world? Not know that? Right. Yeah, right? Yeah, that that is that's a good point. That's hard to remember. Like, and then I mean, it's certainly they do let their racial uh, notions drive them into things that even in 1920 were crazy. Certainly, yes. you know, Atlantis <laughs> clairvoyance, mm -hmm. uh, chasing all the good physicists out of your country before you begin the atom bomb project. <laughs> yeah, lots of stuff like that. But but in terms of Hitler's belief in extirpating uh, submen. That, to him, was not a magical belief, even though to us, we look back at it and say, well, that's just nonsense. That's got to have a, a mystical component to it. Hmm. For him, that was just a very rational, like... Yeah, that's just a response. Science to has taught us the following. Right, yes. So the survival of the fittest, and if you want to you know, have more wolves, you've got to let them kill the deer. <laughs> yeah, the deer, you... deer, beard, deer being about 14 million people or yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Okay. laughs> Uh, do do you mind uh, going through just a little bit of the the root races that that you talked about and Aryan being what is it the seventh the fifth fifth the okay fifth race is the Aryans and that's who uh, modern day humanity is descended from is the is the Aryans before the Aryans there are the Atlanteans mm -hmm. before the Atlanteans there are the Lemurians okay and before the Lemurians there are the Hyperboreans right and before the Hyperboreans there is I believe Ewoks. <laughs> yes, the Ewoks. <laughs> I, I think it's the Polarians. I, I forget who it is that's before the Hyperboreans, but they are a they are a, a race that doesn't even have matter, right? And so they so they're just energy. they're just they're just energy beings. Interesting. And and as the races evolve, they move away from that and down to what we are. So the Atlanteans were giants, and the Lemurians were less humanoid giants. They had uh, like you know one eye. Oh, and, the Favorians. Right, and, and um, uh, they were I think born from eggs not from uh, mammalian reproduction. And so it's this sort of notion of evolution that has been applied to mystical belief. Yeah. Because Blavatsky is selling her, you know, particular brand of snake oil during a time when evolution is the, the hot stuff. Just like if you pick a book down off the New Age shelves, it's going to have the word quantum somewhere in it. Yeah, Vibrations. Right? Yeah. Bashar. Cetacean transformation. <laughs> Join um, us, Ken. Join us. <laughs> And uh, one of the things that uh, you have to uh, remember about theosophy is that the Semitic race, sub-race, is a offshoot of the fourth root race, not the fifth root race. Hmm. So uh, the Semitic root race, the, the Turanian, uh, the Semitic race, the Turanian race, and I think the, I forget what they called the American Indians, but they're another sub-race. Huh. And so they are a fourth root race people, not a fifth root race people. So fifth root race people are better because they're more evolved. And so to Which the is, theosophists, the Jews are literally 
cavemen in the sense, right? They're the previous race, and so they're not human. Well, my question to that is then, I thought the plan was to functionally reverse engineer this 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 watering down of the Aryan bloodline to get back to these these purer versions. Mm-hmm. And that that's not the previous races. It's, no, it's, it's simply it's just the, fifth, the Aryan fifth it's race. It's the Aryan fifth root race. Is the top okay, right. okay, I see. That, weird. That each each uh each root race degenerates and along its course of degeneration it spawns off the next root race that's going to sort of carry forward the uh the sort of the, the spark of life or the or mm-hmm. the engine of creativity or whatever it is that they carry forward. And so when the fourth root race is just about to to, to give up the ghost, it spawns the fifth root race. And the fifth root race is the Aryans, and I forget who spawned them specifically, the Toltecs or something. And that wouldn't and that wouldn't make them more pure just because they were older. Right. Because they're a degenerate version of the older fourth root race. Gotcha. So Jesus. so trying to <laughs> yeah. trying to get back How to How did a... they get anything done? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is when you when you write it all out, then you can sell it as a as a as a three volume set and right. uh, you know and get other well, people to pay for your hotel bills. Yeah, that's they, the goal, yeah, right? There you go. Truth. So so they would consider just a, a being of pure energy to be just the lowest of the low. No, because the thing is that everyone's version of theosophy starts going bananas, right? There's huge uh, I, I don't know why. Yeah, you think <laughs> yeah. with a with a simple logical <laughs> cosmology like that everyone would just go ahead. But there's there's schisms and 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 and, and arguments and faction fighting within theosophy. Uh, first over whether or not Madame Blavatsky faked the letters from the secret masters uh, that she found miraculously in her Spoiler study Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> For those listening at home, see if you can guess whether she faked letters from the secret masters of Tibet. <laughs> Answer will be revealed in a future podcast. <laughs> That's right. We'll let people know that. That's right. When we, when Send we... in your guess. <laughs> Two things you get to reveal. The winner yeah. of the miscripting contest <laughs> and whether or not Madame Blavatsky made up the letters. She made up the Mahatma letters. <laughs> Every time you say her name, though, I, I picture that uh, the old crone... Uh, fortune teller you know with the <laughs> headband and the big oh, yeah. hook nose and so yeah nope nope yeah. hitler took care of those two <laughs> yeah <laughs> just helping you out every Jeez. time so anyway the so among the various uh, uh sort of splinter movements you start getting people who are saying well if the initial energy race came down from the stars they're really the best race and the process of going in deeper into the material is actually damaging us yeah. entirely and I think that it is that sort of Manichaean notion of theosophy that inspired a guy named George Lanz, who later called himself George Lanz von Liebenfelds, because you have to add a von to your name you can. to get yeah. anywhere in Germany. I was going to say also, Lanz. <laughs> yeah, this is awfully bland. It's, uh, it's what, what, what can I make? Von Liebenfelds. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of people That name will get me laid. <laughs> The ladies love the Liebenfels, if you know what I mean. That's right. <laughs> Liebenveliveld. <laughs> and in fact, that's that's why you got thrown out of the Cistercian Monastery. Just for... Uh, and for into the Cetacean Monastery. Yeah. Well, Just well, for bumping up his name? No, for, you know, reaching out and touching the ladies with his Liebenfels. Nice! <laughs> yes. Or for the practice of physical love, as it was called. So it may have been goats or young boys. We don't know. Wow, but Okay. Uh, again, yeah, like, I don't like going by the term rapist. I like a uh, uh, physical uh, touch. Yeah, I've, I was engaging in acts of physical love. Physical love. Yeah, uh, so that's my crime. I love to love. Physical love technician. If, if that is a crime, then oh, look at that. <laughs> no, seriously, that's it's, it's okay. It's a crime. I know no, this no, now. Yes. I know now. 
And whether it's a crime or not, it's not allowed in a Cistercian monastery. No. So he is <laughs> yeah. bounced. But uh, while in Cistercian monastery, he'd been a, a excellent language student. And so he was reading a lot of works of Aramaic and ancient Greek that were not particularly part of the intellectual, you know, climate of 19th century Germany. And as you do when you read Herodotus, you run across an awful lot of stuff that Herodotus talked about that doesn't make it into the history books because it's crazy. Right. And that's and that's why, you know, when I read Herodotus, I, I you know, you just take it with a grain of salt. That's right. Exactly. Everybody it's knows. Just everybody thing. knows. Right. Or you read, he's, he reads um, uh, works by Gnostic philosophers that the church, mm. you know, does not approve of. Right. But they got to keep them around in a know your enemy kind of a way. Yeah. But a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them talk about beings of light coming down and, you know, inseminating human people. The notion that the angels have interbred with people to make the Nephilim, these kinds mm. of uh, yeah, beliefs. We got to do an episode on that. Are, are core aspects of, uh, of Gnosticism and, so Land sort of takes a Gnostic reading of Theosophy and says there was an electrical race, a starborn electrical race that came to Earth and foolishly uh, engaged in the act of physical love with <laughs> the mud people that lived on the Earth. And as a result, you <laughs> got Behold our magnificence, much... we have come unto thee. <laughs> Show us your mud boobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now take your skirts off. <laughs> It's slower. Yeah. Slower. We're electrical beings. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, so he wrote a book called Theozoology, which is about what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. And in that book, he talks about the um, uh, the the sort of uh, spiritual sparks, the 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 the, rem- the remnants of the electrical aliens who are kept primarily in the first and best race of man, which is, of course, the Nordics. And so the goal that he suggested is you should basically kill off everyone who's so mud people as to be completely unredeemable. They're just not going to help. Yeah, they're just just slowing us down. But with people who are sort of maybe 40% mud people, you can breed those people back up, and eventually you can have a whole country full of electrical aliens again, and then... Bang, zoom, sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> then then, then nobody the gets times. kicked out of a Cistercian monastery. <laughs> <laughs> then Ever I'll kick again. you out of again. <laughs> but uh, Liebenfels becomes a really big uh, sort of mover in the German occult movement starting around 1904 is when I think he publishes Theozoology. And then 1908, he starts something called the Order of the New Templars and starts waving uh, swastika flags around. Because the swastika is the soul symbol of the Aryan race. Guido von Liszt, who sort of created magical rune theory uh, after going blind and realizing that uh, uh, while blind, he could see the truth far better than he could. Not after realizing that while blind, he still has to pay bills. He may also have realized that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he, he was blind as a result of an operation for cataracts. And then when his vision cleared up, he could sort of come out and say, I've had a vision. Here's what the runes are. And then... He, published, he, he submitted his rune theories to, I think, the Vienna uh, University, and they sort of sent him a, you know, thanks for your submission. We have thrown it away. Yeah. <laughs> letter. Um, but we threw it away not in a respectful way. <laughs> oh, no. We always value new inputs and ideas. Yours was not one of those. Yes. <laughs> Yours, your ideas were neither new nor ideas. <laughs> So we I award you them. no points and God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 the big wigs in Vienna uh, talking down to the little man uh, became a big political football in these nationalist movements. And so rune magic became the sort of thing you believed in 
if you were on side with German nationalism. Hmm. And that is where that sort of strain of it, you know, begins to filter through. And so when by the time you got to the Thule Gesellschaft, they've got their rune magic is just as big a part of them as Freemasonry or any of the other uh, older magic that they would have gotten from their own uh, sort of quasi-Masonic uh, or hmm. uh, similarly uh, occult tradition. Yeah. Hmm. See, like the the thing that is that is terrifying about this is that I think there's this 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 fundamental belief that everything was humming along normally. Hitler shows up and he's just the the most magic orator on earth, and suddenly everyone in two weeks period is like, "Yeah, we'll do whatever you want." Yeah, and it's it's more terrifying to see that just like you said, there's this started hundreds of years in advance of this happening. That there's there were so many slow changes and, and forces uh, on these people, and and that that kind of led to this and it's, it's spookier because of that, that weird glacial pace that, that that's how things happen. And I think it's, it's easy to think, you know, being born after the war was over that, Oh no, it just, it just cropped up like a weed. One guy shouts at a bunch of people. They all agree to do it. And then once you, once that guy dies, it's over again. You know, like that, this is a, this is a lot almost more scary in that sense that there is a lot of sociology. I, I have to a it. theory on that because by the time you get to that point in, in your history classes in high school, it's like the end of the year. Nobody's paying attention. You got to cram everything in. So they, they skip it. No, that's, that's not a real theory. <laughs> you know, as I was saying, this, yeah. I decided to submit it to the Vienna University. <laughs> Send your emails to that's Vienna right. University. I think it's because the schools are taught by submen. <laughs> Mud people, if you will. <laughs> yes, rise up! <laughs> oh, oh, damn it. <laughs> oh, damn. Let's just make sausages. Oh, right. oh. I had to make that joke. Yeah. Only if you're going camping. Snuggaballs <laughs> and sausages. Louisiana bio. <laughs> Out near uh, Boy Scout Troop, we're killing slobs and enjoying a Vienna sausage now That's and again. Right. <laughs> All ties together. There's nothing we like more than referencing our own past episodes. <laughs> uh, so, so now we've got a stage set. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got... Uh, a bunch of people with this belief system that are all working now they're getting included into the German government yeah and this is where the wheels start to to fall off the wagon or spin around really or, fast or, yeah. whichever it is yeah and, and when when Himmler becomes uh, Reichsfuhrer SS when he becomes the second or third most powerful man in Germany depending mm-hmm. on who's talking he wants to do something to sort of promulgate the study of all this crazy stuff that he believes and so he sets up an organization called the Ananerba which means ancestral research, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so the Ancestral Research Institute, the Ananerba, is a, it begins as a sort of quasi-governmental organization. He sets it up in 1935 with um, a, a guy named Richard Daré, who is a neo-pagan and, at that time, minister for agriculture in Germany. And those two guys sort of put it together out of, you know, spare change they find lying around the couch. <laughs> and then as the sort of pressure to create more and more ideological energy behind Nazism builds up. He puts more and more resources, resources into the Ananerba so that they can do more and more to educate the German people. Because as you know, Himmler knows perfectly well, the average German is not going out and becoming a vegetarian, reincarnating Atlantis believing (laughs) space alien. They're, you know, saying, uh, yeah, whatever, dude, I'm a Lutheran. Yeah. <laughs> Here's or, a casserole. Was ever, dude, I'm a Lutheran. Here's your hot dish. Yeah. Like, no, go away. Schnitzel. And yes, there is sausage in the hot dish. <laughs> of course. It's, not, it's, it's from Vienna. Hot dish. That is crazy talk. Like you're Atlantis. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, but because um, the sort of the prestige of the Nazi party is tied up in a lot of this crazy stuff, or it, in Himmler's mind it is, he has to sort of double down every time. And he figures if he can just get that, you know, proof that Aryan, that the Aryan theories are right, he can show those jerks in the Vienna University and America and wherever else that, in fact, uh, Nazism is not a, a crazy crank cult, but is, in fact, the wave of the future. And if everyone just understood about Electrical Man, this would happen. <laughs> Which is what everyone wearing um, paper bags on their feet is screaming outside of a courthouse. <laughs> exactly. And to his credit, again, one hesitates to give Hitler credit, but he recognizes that this is really bad for the brand. <laughs> yeah. Hitler wants Nazism to be sim- uh, synonymous with awesome airplanes and tanks that are going to drive over your foes and industry and modern life and parkland and things like that. He doesn't want Nazism to be uh, synonymous with people who smell like soup ranting at each other in a, <laughs> in a beer hall somewhere. He wants to get past that and, and move out and sort of set Germany up as sort of the technological wonder world of tomorrow. So when you've got the official Nazi party research institute talking about Atlantis, it's embarrassing. And Hitler, you know, during the Nuremberg rally, not in a low key speech talks about how we're not going to find solutions by looking for imaginary giants. We're going to find solutions by, you know, buckling to and um, uh, getting those tanks built. That's a slap at Himmler. That's a slap at the Ananerba. Yeah. Himmler is forced to purge the crazy guy that he had in charge of the Ananerba and hire a guy with an actual PhD to run it. <laughs> Whoops. So yes. Which what? is tough. Yeah. Well, you, no, I... apparently not. Yeah. Apparently, by 1937, if Heinrich <laughs> Himmler wants a guy to fill a slot... There's applicants. But there's a, there's an interesting uh, uh, irony to that, though, in that uh, in addition to his beliefs, though, Heinrich Himmler was was actually really good, really effective and instrumental at building up the SS. Yeah, he was the guy who made the SS happen. He was the person who said, you know, basically, the SS began as Hitler's bodyguard mm-hmm. because, again, the, there was a lot of street fights. There was the recent communist uh, revolution that had taken over Bavaria. There was always the danger that the communists or some other uh, party would take out Hitler just the way that uh, assassins on the right had been taking out, you know, social Democrats and communist leaders. So he sets up this bodyguard for Hitler. And because Hitler knows that he can trust Himmler implicitly, right. That he's, you know, he's sort of got that guy's number. Once you're trusted implicitly by the guy in charge, it's pretty easy to build up a power base because you're the only guy who Hitler will allow to build up a power base. And so Himmler builds the SS basically in the in his own model of slavish devotion to Hitler because he understands that's the secret to his power is Hitler always knowing that Himmler is right. dependable. And so so that's why Hitler keeps this guy around. Yeah, right. And, he, and also because, I mean, in addition to, you know, crazy stuff, Himmler really is very useful at running the police state. I mean, mm. he's got that sort of police state mind. He's a, he's a good bureaucrat. He's got, an, I mean, he's got, if anything, an over eye for detail. Because he's always sending memos about, you know, go out and find every mention of Thor's hammer and send them to me. Because I'm pretty sure we could build it. He was probably a micromanager. He probably Uh, was. And he hired uh, (laughs) lots of other detail-oriented guys to make sure that the one thing that Hitler really, really thought was a priority would go forward. And that is getting this whole mud people situation solved and killing, you know, first off, isolating driving away, and then when that becomes impracticable due to the fact that they're at war and you can't just send people out of your country anymore, setting up the concentration camps and killing them. 
Yeah. Um, do you have those THS reports for me? <laughs> TPS reports? If you could just have those Thor's Hammer syndication <laughs> reports. Yeah, I'm going to need all of those Thor's Hammer uh, reports. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to come in on 1943. <laughs> he had a mug that said Reich's best boss. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did wear glasses. Mm-hmm. Glasses, <laughs> oh, nerds. Sorry, Ken <laughs> and Dave. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's how. Who's I get... the nerd now? No. <laughs> the worm has turned. Stecco, that is your real name, and that's how I get beat up. <laughs> Very delicately. <laughs> the next half yes, hour I've of this podcast cramp. is just whomp, slap, and whimpering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I break my wrist again. <laughs> <laughs> Now, see, and that's just fascinating that uh, do you think that because he was so effective at running, well, as you said, the, the projects that, that were important to Hitler, that he was just like, oh, all right, uh, if this is this is, is this the, the tax I pay that you yeah, have I mean, to... it's, it's like if you've got someone who, you know, you're working with very, very closely, they may have one, you know, crazy bugbear that they're, uh, you know, uh, that they're really into. But as long as, you know you can just let them have that in their off time. You don't really care. Right. Right. And they're on side. They're, they're, they're ideologically reliable or they're reliable in some other way. It's like, well, yeah, sure. He's got a really unhealthy obsession with Selena Gomez, but in every other respect, he's a model employee, that kind of thing. Not like Stuart over in accounting. His obsession with Selena Gomez, right on the money. Right not on the too money. much, not too little. Exactly. He's the exact amount of like dedication to, to this, Selena Gomez. corporation. <laughs> And really, oh, we are Disney, so yeah. it's not as strange yeah. as it sounds. Get him over here. Yeah. Get him. O- I want to talk to him again. <laughs> I, I like the cut of his jib. That's right. Now, that guy, he's a little obsessed with jib cutting. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Jib cutting. A little, a little overboard a little on the jib cutting. Jib cutting. Don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> but a guy that, that, that's, that's too much on jib cutting, I can work with. Can it's work the with. people who don't have the passion for jib cuttery. Right. No, no use for him. <laughs> <laughs> they might as well, might as well just join the army. <laughs> So, so what kind of projects, I mean, so the, the Anna Nerba, I know that, uh, in my research, I saw that they did go up into Finland mm-hmm. and they were looking, uh, at again, just exactly the same sorts of things. The, these, these, uh, Aryan and old Scandinavian myths and folklore and witches and, and songs. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, were it not so completely bad crazy, one could say that it was just a, a really intense anthrop- anthropology. Yeah. The, um, uh. Uh, the, the the sort of the occult uh, author and occultist Peter Lavenda says, imagine the you know um, humanities faculty of Oberlin University with guns. That's the Ananerba. Yeah. Right. So they have their their crazy little ideological beliefs that are pretty much harmless until you let them throw people in jail. Yeah. And then trouble ensues. <laughs> but so they uh, the the um, uh, they went to Finland to look for old uh, music that would be the kind of music that was played by the ancient Aryans, right? Mm-hmm. They, and so they figured that Finland, very close to the top of the world, very old culture, not uh, connected to uh, the, the Slavs in any way. So maybe they've preserved that, you know, ignorantly because they're not necessarily, uh, the, the Swomi are not uh, Nordic. Yeah. Uh, their language, it doesn't fit. But they're at the top of the world. They're up there in the ice. So close <laughs> so to Russia. So, so far, far from, from Japan. Japan. <laughs> Oh man, that's two episodes. I managed to get that in there yeah. now. Yeah, I love that song. That's good. On the third, you have to pay royalties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of it. <laughs> and so, a, while they were in Finland, they they did record an awful lot of of, of music. They got a uh, you know 
sort of Finnish traditional instrument, keyed fiddle, and then they and they brought it back and uh, they took a picture of a, a local witch after getting her to chant litanies <laughs> into their uh, wire recorder. And stole her soul and brought that back to uh, on an air. I want to see that picture because <laughs> I just imagine they just took it. And she just is like half looking up. Ah! What? <laughs> or or is that it's the most mundane thing on earth? It's just like a woman with a basket Jeez. and a babushka mm. just looking. What? Yeah, and then they brought. No, no, this is a witch. Yeah, yeah, we, we totally a, took a picture we of a witch. We found a witch. She was that is, nasty. That is, uh, no, she looks like the cleaning woman at the hotel, but she yeah. was actually <laughs> very similar to a witch that we took pictures of. And here's our expense account. This, yeah, <laughs> this is one of her tricks because when we took the picture, she was in the form of a goat. Yeah. <laughs> so some of it was sort of quasi responsible archaeology. Some of it was just nuts. Some of it was uh, anthropological madness. And the expedition to Tibet, for example. Sort of all of those things. Because yeah. uh, the guy, Ernst Schaefer, who wants to go to Tibet, he's gone twice with American expeditions. He wants to lead his own expedition. He, by specialty, is an ornithologist and a zoologist. And so he wants to look for animal specialties. But the reason he wants to go looking for animals in Tibet is because he believes that when the world was created, right, when the, at the beginning of sort of biological history, the world would be covered in water. And so Tibet would be the only part sticking up out of the earth that had oh, land on it. Okay. So biology must have started on Tibet because otherwise land animals couldn't have evolved, right? And so if you go to Tibet, you will find a vastly larger number of undiscovered biological species because Tibet is where they all came from. It's the, the cradle of life. Hmm. And those that you'll find will be less specialized and more and, closer and, to the yeah. initial. And, but, and, but there will also have been longer, just evolution will have had longer to work in Tibet yeah. than anywhere else in the world. So you'll see more different kinds of species. And this is just kissing cousins with the whole Aryan notion that the fifth root race comes down from a magical bridge in space and lands somewhere between Tibet and Outer Mongolia, and that that becomes the the the, the, the city at the beginning of uh, of the, the first Aryan city, and that that's what Aryan civilization spreads out of. So the notion that Tibet is the cradle of life for Schaefer may have been purely biological in his mind, but it's so close to the mystical belief that when it comes time to get budget money from Himmler. So be it. Easy peasy. He can pass the test with flying colors. Yeah. And so he brings along a guy who's a... I'll fund your scientific expedition, but could you uh, downplay the science part for <laughs> could me? Could you keep it more expedition-y? <laughs> less science-y? And after the war, of course, that's what Schaefer says is, no, I was just lying about all that stuff. But, you know, at the time, yeah. he's, he's not shy. And he takes along a guy who's an expert in geomagnetism, which has military applications because if you're flying bombing raids over, you know, India. You want to know how the compasses are going to be thrown off. It has scientific application, obviously, because it's just studying the geomagnetic forces of the Earth. Mm -hmm. And it has magical and mystic application because the ley lines, uh, the, the the invisible lines of force that connect uh, powerful vortices and whatnot. Which, we, oh, yeah. which we've expertly discussed. Yeah, yes, the, 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 the ley lines are a, a important magical thing. So you bring a guy along and he's going to ge geomagnetic surveys of Tibet. Is he a spy? Is he a scientist? Or is he an occultist? And the answer with the Ananerba is ninety is you know at seven times out of ten, why pick? Yeah, stop. <laughs> You're both right. That's right. <laughs> Multitasking is the key yeah. to efficiency. <laughs> and they brought along a guy named Bruno Beger, who was a physical anthropologist who wanted to measure Tibetan skulls to see if any of them were Aryan, because one thing they knew about Tibet: lots of swastikas down there. Yeah, true. And anyone who's that fond of the swastika has got to be Aryan because it's our magic soul symbol. <laughs> yeah. We read it in a book. 
Got to be probably true. cool with us. They use our gang symbols. And so they would go to, you know, Tibet and start measuring people's skulls. And Bruno Baker is the guy who eventually is put in charge of a project to measure the skulls of as many Jews as he can so that Himmler can have, in black and white, a way to figure out who's a Jew and who isn't. Because mm. turns out people don't always tell the truth when the option is Auschwitz. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's crazy, I know. So, so from so from Tibet, then where does the Ananerba take us? Where do we go next on Ananerba crazy ass airlines? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the Ananerba go all kinds of different places, and for to to one extent or another, they have to sort of stop screwing around during the war because mm-hmm. they they can't be flying to places through British airspace on account of there being a war. <laughs> on account of there being a war, uh, there is an Ananerba archaeologist who winds up as the intelligence officer of uh, the first Viking SS division. And is going around Russia looting museums of artifacts and sending them back to Berlin while fighting on the Eastern Front. P.S. Coolest unit patches in the entire yeah. Reich. Yeah. The Viking SS. The Viking SS, yes. Wow. Viking division. <laughs> and uh, Axes and horned helms. So it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of like Indiana Jones with tanks, this guy. Yeah. Uh, so they go all kinds of places, but they have to sort of dial back big goals. They had a big expedition to Bolivia that was planned that they didn't get to do. They probably didn't get to go to Ethiopia, although you'll get different answers about that. And again, it's only very recently we found out that the Ananerba did anything because those records were sort of, you know, boxed away with crazy shit the Nazis did. And most people sort of stopped with, oh, I don't know, World War II and the Holocaust. It's like, that'll that'll keep you busy. Crazy enough. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy enough. But there's uh, this old box marked Scheisse, though. What What should that be? But it wasn't until the 70s that a German uh, scholar named Michael Cater did a doctorate a doctoral dissertation on the Ananerba, and that sort of brought it out, and people are finding more and more evidence of various Ananerba activities. So we don't know fully what all they were getting up to and to what extent they were working through other groups like the Frobenius Institute, which was a German anthropology Sounds institute. made up. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I, uh, I worked with the, uh, the Frobenius, Frobenius Institute. Yes, with a, the I've s- got a clipboard, so you should probably just let me in. Sausage, <laughs> sausage King of Stuttgart. <laughs> exactly. Abe Frobenius. <laughs> yeah, or the, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of the German version of the National Geographic Society that mm-hmm. they would sort of bring on an guys along on those things. They fell on hard times and couldn't afford to keep putting out their magazines, so then they became a German porn mag called the Fraubenius Institute. Yeah! <laughs> that, that, they, that doesn't count. Oh, no. that sucks, because that's a really good one. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself. I should have sat on that should one. Should have saved it. Yep. Clip and save. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so sorry, Ken, keep going. And uh, they wanted to go to the Canary Islands and look for Atlantis there, but Franco was trying to stay out of World War II, so he wasn't going to let the Ananerba do it. But he sent his guy uh, from the Spanish Antiquities Organization, whatever it was, CSOS, uh, was sent down um, to dig around and see if there was anything the Nazis might like yeah. that he could bring back. And Franco also had a number of castles in Spain that are connected one way or the other to the Templars. And since uh, Himmler was a big te- Templar fan, yep. when Himmler came down to visit Spain for a, nego- for a treaty negotiation, they sort of took him on a tour through these these castles in Spain where, among other things, Roland had smote the uh, the, 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 the Moors mm-hmm. in the Battle of Roncesvall. And so there was a question, well, if we could find Roland's horn, that would be awesome. <laughs> and, of course, the notion that the Holy Grail might have been in one of those castles because... Uh, Saragossa sounds an awful lot like Saris, which is the island the Holy Grail is on 
in, in the, uh, the, the Lay of Galahad. And Montserrat, which is a different monastery in Spain, sounds like Montsalvat, which is where the Grail is kept in um, Wolfram of Eschenbach's Parzival, which, of course, is the basis of Wagner's opera Parzival, which Hitler thought was the greatest thing in the universe. So you can see Himmler thinking, Hitler doesn't like magic, but he likes Parzival. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can get my the hands on the Holy like Grail, magic, isn't it? that would be awesome. Yeah. And so there was a a sort of a, a, a ongoing, you know, anything you find that might interest the Ananerba, you know, just shoot it past them. So we don't know what the Ananerba necessarily was doing. Himmler had another guy on his staff who was sort of part of the Ananerba and sort of not. He was part of Hitler's general staff. The Ananerba was part of Hitler's general staff. Whether or not this guy Otto Rahn worked for the Ananerba is sort of a paperwork question it's uh-huh. like you know the nazi director of personnel would have said well i don't know he's sort of a part-time he's a contractor yeah. <laughs> but he also gets some insurance <laughs> i think it's a cobra i'm not yeah. sure how that works <laughs> i get paperwork from him sometimes i fill out the w9 right. what we have to do is get him to fill out all the forms correctly and then we can go back and rehire him at his previous salary <laughs> Oh, German. And so Otto Rahn was this guy who had spent the uh, much of the 1920s wandering around uh, France looking into the ruins uh, and remains of the Cathars, who I'm sure you've already uh, dodged past in previous episodes. No. We've dodged past them so much we haven't even talked about them. Yeah, we've dodged, <laughs> th- we've dodged past them perfectly. Well, <laughs> real fast, the Cathars were a Gnostic heresy that uh, was extirpated by the Catholic Church in the south of France in the uh, late or mid, mid to late 13th century in a crusade known as the Albigensian Crusade, because Albi was where their heresy in France sort of you know, kicked off, hence Albigensian, born in Albi. So the Cathars believed that the, the world was, uh, the, the mankind was a spiritual electrical being that had no connection to the filth of the world, that the goal of humanity was to separate themselves from that world and be uh, perfected, literally made perfecti, by uh, asceticism. And if you couldn't do that, since any human contact was debasing, non-procreative sex was the only kind of sex you should be having because otherwise you're bringing more souls into this horrible world. And so they became synonymous with uh, buggery and sodomy and all manner of other ill behavior. <laughs> buggery. <laughs> That's... Wow. That just right. I, you yeah. know what? I can't even. That's T-ball, and I won't have it. Yeah. Have I'm it. better than that. Better than that. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. It's, it's, it's good to see you walk away. <laughs> Sometimes a man's just got to walk away, Dave. Well, yeah. But the, but the notion of the Cathars uh, believing these uh, very similar Gnostic beliefs to the sort of uh, Theozoologi type beliefs inspired a lot of Germans to think, oh, maybe the Cathars were in on this Theozoology thing and they're connected to the electrical space alien people who are awesome super Aryans. Yeah. And maybe the reason the French killed them is because they were jealous that they were more pure. Again, just like the French. It's the so like them. It's so <laughs> like them. So Otto Rahn thinks the Cathars may have been the guys who had the Holy Grail, that they're the people who had the Grail keeping it away from uh, corrupting human influence, right? That Montsalvat in Parsifal's poem is Montsegur, the Cathar fortress, the last Cathar fortress to fall. So he goes and he looks around in uh, Montsegur for the Holy Grail and he writes a book called Crusade Against the Grail in which he sets out his theory about the Cathars and Himmler sees that book and says, boom, that's the book that we want. Nailed it. Because he's, he's got it going on. So he hires Otto Rahn 
to sort of look for the grail for him and to write another book. And uh, Ron sort of, in what it, to me as a writer, it looks very much like he cashed the advance and then said, <laughs> oh, <hell. laughs> oh, no. uh, okay. Ah, uh, crap. I don't know what to write now. And so the next book that he writes, which is called The Court of Lucifer, uh, Lucifer being the good guy, because Lucifer is the, the guy bringer. fighting against battle god of filthy right. earth. And uh, so the court of Lucifer is uh, the court of the grail. And he goes around to a bunch of places sort of looking for the grail, looking for remnants of Gnostic duology and sort of talking about his own emotional response to the landscape. And it's very much the sort of, when I got to Iceland, I realized that in Iceland, I was looking only for the spark within myself. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. See, see, maybe that's a German thing because that's very uh, Werner Herzog. There's, there's, there's a As little bit of the journey- Herzog narrator yeah. in, in Otto Rahn's books. As we journeyed forth, I found that I was seeking not from without but from within. <laughs> it was at this point that the eternal chaos recurred and destroyed my only beliefs. <laughs> and and that is, that's the sort of book that his second book is. And so he's on the on an Arab nickel, and he has not as far as we know, found the grail. Although, dun, 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 there is the rumor that he found the grail, sort of marked it down on his little grail map, and then kept it hidden and secret, and that it may have been found by the Nazis after he died, or did he die, in 1939. Otto Rahn, a skilled mountaineer, a very uh, capable uh, Uh uh, outdoorsman, Climbs a mountain in Austria in spring of 1939 and allegedly freezes to death. And huh. Convenient. And the, and the Nazi party, the Volkischer Baerbacher, publishes an obituary for him a month after. And that's it. They're like, lost in Austria, our good Nazi buddy, SS Oberlieutenant Otto Rahn. Everyone <laughs> shed a tear. Now you have teared. That is all. <laughs> now you have teared. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. And so there's a lot of theories, right? The, the, there's the theory that Otto Rahn was beginning to say, I don't much like this Himmler fellow. He seems icky and was trying to figure out a way to resign from the SS and realize that the way you resign from the SS is you go up a mountain <laughs> yeah. and don't come back down. Blood in, blood out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the Cathar Perfecti, uh, their great, their final sacrament was to commit suicide by letting their blood out and mm. ending all connection to the physical world that way, right? All the polluting blood that makes you want to have procreative sex and stuff. Just yeah. get all that out of you. I always just blame my penis, but I guess it's the blood. Well, see, a lot of people think. I blame girls <laughs> for not taking a chance. <laughs> That's right. Why can't they Why can't they give a nice occultist and Bigfoot hunter a chance ever? <laughs> They're always with those ever. jerks with their Atlantis and their fedora. <laughs> I hate that guy. But uh, so the theory is that he may have committed Cathar suicide up there on the mountain and that that's what happened to him. Another theory is that Himmler got sick of paying for stupid, terrible books and just had him whacked (laughs) and made up the story about the mountain entirely. Another theory is, and this is an awesome theory that I swear to God I did not make up. Oh, this is going to be so good. Oh, it is. They faked his death and gave him a new identity as a man named Rudolf Rahn. And Rudolf Rahn becomes the German ambassador to Vichy, Syria, and then to Vichy, Tunis, and then the German ambassador to Italy, and then after the war becomes the head of Coca-Cola in Europe. Goosh. What? And the notion that the Ananerba SS officer who discovered the Holy Grail wound up making Coca-Cola in Europe 
maybe the greatest thing that I've ever discovered in my entire career of looking for Nazi stuff. That is magnificent. Yes. Now, there is the slight fact that Rudolf Rahn's pre-1939 past is fairly well documented. Yeah. Which can be gotten over if you've got the whole resources of the SS. That's true. Just saying. The fact that he doesn't look an awful lot like Otto Rahn in photographs. That's just plastic surgery. Right. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, the rigors of mountaineering. Yeah. We don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. I mean, I, I would think that the blood of Christ tastes like Coke. I would have seen, I saw what the well, Ark of the Covenant. in the Grail, it does. I saw what the Ark of the Covenant did to a German guy's face. So I imagine that the Grail <laughs> yeah. will at least, you know, mess with your nose a little. <laughs> It'll teach the world to sing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. Okay, so so now that we've got uh, Otto Ron out so, of the picture, is, is there are there any other possible outcomes for the Grail aside from sweet, delicious Coca Cola, the taste of America? <laughs> well, the, the 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 other possibility is that whether Ron was forced to reveal the location of the Grail before being other possibility black, singular, either that happened or what you're about yeah, to say happened. Say right. <laughs> well, they could have both happened. <laughs> That's true. Right. Either he's forced to reveal the location of the Grail uh, before being whacked, or he reveals it voluntarily because he's a Nazi. Mm-hmm. And, and doesn't know he's going to be whacked. Who doesn't know he's going to be whacked, or doesn't know he's going to be turned into a guy named Rudolph. Yeah, nobody ever doesn't sees know that coming. That stuff. Doesn't, <laughs> you would be surprised how few people, <laughs> when they wake up and they're Rudolph, they're like, oh, I, I, I totally knew that. <laughs> oh, they, they Rudolph me. They got Rudolph dog. I wrote that in my diary. If I suddenly become Rudolph, yeah. I, pred- I totally called it. <laughs> I totes called it. I can't believe that Gypsy was right. Why? Oh. Why do I keep going back to her? <laughs> Madame Blavatsky, it's you. <laughs> so, the, so the notion that the Nazis knew where the Grail was and were just sort of waiting for the right moment to unleash it. They waited too long. They, but just a bit. Uh, but Otto Scorzani, the uh, sort of Nazi Errol Flynn, the, the guy who <laughs> rescued Mussolini, he's the guy who dressed <laughs> his men up in American uniforms and sent them into the Battle of the Bulge to sow confusion the guy who set up Odessa, Mr. Nazi badass himself, yeah. Otto Scorzani, is in the south of France in September and October of 1944, right? Doing commando operations. Yeah. General Skullduggery. happens to be the anniversary, the 700th anniversary of the fall of Montsegur is late 1944, which fell in, in 1244 to the Albigensian Crusaders. So at that point, right, you get the notion that maybe Ron is like, they buried the grail, and only on the anniversary of the day of its burial does the light beam come down out of the oh, heavens fully and point Indiana the way to the, Exactly. Total Indiana Jones it. Scorzani is waiting for that moment, goes in, takes the grail out of Montsegur, where it has been buried, and brings it back to uh, Germany. Now, of course, now D-Day has happened. America's in the fight. Trouble is a Bruin. And whatever the power of the grail is, it may just be to make delicious Coca-Cola. It may not actually be to, you know, smite the Russians. The very few grail That's myths involve down. smiting the Russians, apparently. Yeah. And so whatever the grail's powers are, they're not sufficient to turn the tide. Or maybe the grail is like, um, did you f- skip the part where I'm holy? Because <laughs> yeah. it's in the name, yeah. Holy Grail. And so they're like, ah, oh, damn, we're, oh, I, uh, ah, why do we keep doing that? Why couldn't we find the nefarious Grail? Yes, why don't we that start looking stupid. for evil artifacts? <laughs> yeah. Make more sense now, now that I think of it. Uh, hindsight. The hindsight. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> and so uh, the, the, the Grail then is smuggled out of uh, Germany at the end of the war by Scorzani's Odessa operation and taken to 
the Antarctic Refuge, where the Nazis uh, removed all of their secret weapons. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, where they wait until this very day to, yes. re- to release That's their... That's right. Uh, their UFOs and Bigfoots and such are all down there. Man, their Bigfoot army is so awesome. Is. If, if anyone comes at the U.S. with a Bigfoot army... I'm switching sides. You're switching sides <laughs> instantly. Oh, see, you can't be you can't be broadcasting that because now they they've got you. They know that you're a weak link. They'll no they'll no start weighing on you. That means that there's going to be Bigfoot commandos that because they they're listening to this and they're like, oh, that's we need to get that guy out of there. We're going to come get him. Yeah. I want to be rescued. he's a good asset. Yeah, I want to be rescued by Bigfoot commandos. Well, I don't know. I, I just Does that, wait, wait, wait. But oh, see, now I'm a Nazi. I don't want to be a Nazi. Yeah. Yeah, See, true, but that's what happens when you start saying, just because people have got um, uh, 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 their their Yeti buddies from the what a fourth root race. <laughs> what a, okay, it is that is that is a comp. No, okay, <laughs> I'm going to stick with the U.S. of A. Even though it breaks my heart to set myself against an army of Bigfoots. Well, maybe we'll have our own Bigfoots. Maybe it'll be Bigfoot versus Bigfoot. Bigfoot I v think, Bigfoot. I think there's like brother versus brother. Otto Roth. I think there's a Bigfoot gap right on the, now. On the, on, the, on, the, on the battlefield at Gettysburg. Will... <laughs> yeah! Gettysburg. Oh, Jesus. well done. Yes. That counts. That counts. Yeah, we'll take it. That was brilliant. Gosh. Gettysburg. <laughs> oh, there's a reason you're on this podcast, Ken. That's right. I respect that. That is just fascinating, though. I I had no idea that it that they that there was that much of like a, a regular effort put into it. Like you almost just think that it's kind of made up because oh, you can just pin anything on Nazis. No one's going to say boo about it. <laughs> but they they were really researching this. They yeah. yeah. Once the Nazis have rejected sort of the Western consensus, there there's guys no that well, right? Yeah. You know? And again, it, part of it is because the Ananerba very much is created in Himmler's image. He builds it because he's got dictatorial power over all of Germany, and he's like. You know what I want? A bunch of guys to find out about Atlantis for me. Make that happen. Yeah, he gets to he gets to to pursue with military force his hobby. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like if he was a you know model train collector, that's what they would have had. They would have had an institute devoted to building tiny trains. <laughs> Which, in fact, I don't want to say right here that they did not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that didn't happen. Ah. <laughs> oh. That's fascinating. Yeah, well, that's, I, that's and and we just barely scratched the surface oh, uh, yeah. of this stuff. You know, we got a good basis for kind of what ingredients were thrown into the old pot, and uh, and then the the nice uh, meal that cooks up is the war, which we didn't didn't even get to. Oh really. yeah. So so if you think that's the last you've heard from Ken Height, then you're wrong and, and you're, you're dumb. stupid. You God. son of a bitch. What's wrong with you? Just get out. You know what? Well, I'm not even know why we're doing this podcast anymore. Yeah. I'm Let's fed up stop. with it. Let's stop. We quit. Oh, I can't stay mad at you. Come here, you. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants ice cream? Kenneth Height, I cannot thank you enough for agreeing to be on here, and I hope that I can somehow convince you to do it again. Well, now that Dave has said ice cream. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It does help things. It does hurt. (laughs) Well, we have to to get some top-rate puns out of this thing. Oh, yeah, we do. God, I am furious that I burned a German porno mag pun. Sorry, man. God! That's okay. I've, I, do have a, I do have one that uh, actually lends credence to um, one of the theories about the, uh, the Holy Grail is that uh, there was an attempt to make the, the changeover uh, when Otto changed his identity in the 50s. There was an attempt to kind of draw attention to that by uh, Chubby Checker in his song Ron Ron Rudolph was actually spelled... R O N. It was it was about Rudolph Ron. Oh. Yeah. That's 
that's that's that's what you got right there. That's the hill well, you're gonna die on. That's I blew my German porno mag pun too soon, and yeah, uh, well, that'll happen with German porno mags. You'll blow too soon. God, yeah, that'll get you. So yeah, it was a Ron Ron Rudolph. Gotcha. Yeah. Shit, man. I'm going to get so beat up. Now, everyone, Ken, you might not be aware of this, but uh, Flora and I bitterly compete. We pretend that we're cool about it, but it, we really do compete on these puns. And, man, I'm going to get taken out to the woodshed on this one. You just struck out playing softball. I really did. There's so much, and that's the best I could do. You do your pun, and I'm, I'm going to come up with another right. one. I have to come up with, uh, with, with another one, too, because this one... Ugh. I'm going to so, come up with an auto run. Uh, <laughs> I can't do it. Better than the first. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, okay. I, I, have, uh, I have a nice place that you can, can go up in the mountains. Uh, you can you can get out your poles. You can get out the snowboard. You can get out there on the slopes. It's uh, Madame Blavatsky Resort. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> I mean, you're winning. There's no question. <laughs> I think I could. Wow. Yeah, yeah. This is you're this, you're this, this is triple A ball at its best. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're the toughest guy in the cripple fight. I yeah. hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> you're you're easily the best third baseman in France. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guten tag. Do you like the traveling? Maybe you also enjoy the histories. Then maybe you can join us at the Ananab Air, where we are <laughs> flying around the world to research histories and mysteries. Ananab Air. It's <laughs> not even a pun. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a product. It's just a silly voice. It, no, it's a product. Ananab Air is is, a, is lots a... of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, everyone gets yeah. all the nuts they can handle. Yeah, <laughs> no. See, that's that's my uh, that's my out. I, if I can't come up with a pun, I do a product instead. Okay. I, yeah. The rules to this game are are intricate and seem, and, and malleable. <laughs> yeah, seem primarily devised to, to keep Stecco in yeah. it at so, all. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> sometimes instead of um, a pun, I'll just not do a pun and then say I did one. <laughs> it's a, also it's a clever ruse. My butt. That's yeah. why. <laughs> Yeah, for a nine-year-old, Dave is really <laughs> impressive. I mean, you guys listening can't tell, but yeah. Dave literally is nine. Yeah. So just cut him some slack, people. Shut up, Mom! <laughs> to sit up on the phone book to record. Yeah, exactly. Great. And sometimes I say bad words. <laughs> There's no clear winner in, in this one. No, it, it, there is. It's, it's Ken Height. Yeah. Kenneth Height was there's winning. No, there's no clear uh, first loser in this one. No. No, there's... I uh, I have a product too, actually. Mine uh, mine's a product uh, that may not be your your the the first choice or or the the main player in your diet and uh, your in your dieting needs, trying to trim down a little bit. But it, it gets stuff done in a in a quite a weird way. It's called Heinrich Slimler. Oh, that's not that's not bad. I, there's no, there's no I've, slogan for this. I, I've got. Well, I, no, wait. the trouble is there's a lot of slogans for this. And yeah. They're all horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what about this? What about a German pro wrestler? The Heinrich Hamler. <laughs> Heinrich Maneuver. He's the Heinrich Hamler. Hammerer. Ha- oh, Hammerer. This. There's nothing funny about Nazis, guys. <laughs> Stop it. 
If Hogan's Heroes has taught us nothing, <laughs> it's that there's nothing funny about Nazis. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks again, thank Ken. Thank you, Ken, for coming in. Oh, and thanks very much for the invitation. We'll absolutely have you on again. And also, you can hear Always Kenneth Hyde. Not only, not only can you hear him in your mind when you read his books... <laughs> But you can not hear only <laughs> you or can... anytime really. <laughs> <laughs> but you can hear him with your ears on his podcast. Uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. That's right. Uh, fellow game designer and author Robin Laws and I have a podcast. Ken and now Robin you're talk an about author stuff. and game designer. He's a game designer and author. Is that correct? I think it goes the other way around. Damn it! Right. I think he's author and game designer, or writer <laughs> and game designer, and I'm game designer and writer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it is, so, it's a terrific podcast. It's on uh, iTunes. It is, it is free as air and it is awesome. It's nice. And uh, don't forget Ken's next book is coming out. The Nazi occult uh, from Osprey publishing coming out on June 18th. I'm going to pre order mine. Yeah, man. Go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yes. Uh, you yes, can go is. and is there a better pre-order? place to get it than Amazon? I assume that the Osprey, if the Osprey has a web store, that would probably be a better place because my beloved publishers get a little more of the money, but yeah, other go. than that, Amazon is totally acceptable. Everyone loves to buy from Amazon. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> Nazi yetis. That's, That's right. right. Jerks. Uh, great. So uh, awesome. This is this has been really fun. It's yeah, this is our awesome. first this interview, and and, uh, and we been, didn't been make any. Time. Nobody cried. Not yet. So gonna. <laughs> Nobody cried on air. Yeah. <laughs> you guys didn't hear like the 10 minutes of sobbing we had to cut out in the middle. <laughs> True. You're welcome. So, uh, yeah, go go on to blurryphotos.org. Find those uh, chiclets so that you can uh, uh, like us on Facebook, so that you can follow us on Twitter, blurry underscore photos. Uh, go on to our YouTube page and subscribe, and we'll try to get more stuff up there soon. Uh, go, go stumble upon us somehow. And uh, <laughs> go to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, all that good stuff. And uh, send us some puns. Write us in. Yeah, if you think you're so tough. Uh, also, let's keep... <laughs> let's keep... The, I don't know why I'm so adversarial about it. Oh, I know exactly you gonna... why you're so adversarial <laughs> uh, Same also, reason North Korea is yeah. adversarial about stuff. <laughs> I'm just spoiling for a fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopelessly outclassed <laughs> and eating dirt. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, uh, but uh, also send us your uh, your recommendations. Is there a topic you think we should cover? I'd like to hear about it. And now. <laughs> the time has come. Uh, we have earned this for six long and grueling <laughs> weeks. It's time to crown a champion. A winner. A lady among ladies. For the... 2013 Miscrypted Contest. I gotta be honest, I'm really glad to, in my heart, know that's the last time I'll be doing that. True, true story. Though this episode's not over yet. (laughs) True. So, you guys. You ready? We have tallied the votes. Yep. This is the first time I know, speaking, who the winner is. This is the first time this has happened. And, And mostly because this was such a close race. Oh my gosh. Last second, Hail Mary. Yeah. Everything was a dead heat going into recording. Tonight. Yep, and oh man, it's crazy by one vote. Yep, one one, one vote. One beautiful man made lady. a difference. All right, so runner up, mm-hmm. and if our elegant winner cannot maintain the duties, responsibilities, and privileges of the, her office, then the runner up will be forced to uh, in a uh, steel cage match. <laughs> 
physically subdue Ms. Cryptid and pry the golden crown from her head. And the golden goatman from her hand. That's right. Slash claw. Our runner-up is is actually decided by me and Dave because yeah. everyone's tied yeah, uh, everyone except else, for the winner. Everyone else gets to vote for the winner, so we get to vote for the runner-up. The runner-up is... The Oswong. Oh, yes. Thank you, Aswang. Also, I'd like to uh, I'd like to point out something. Now we haven't really discussed. We we've mentioned it, but we never we never told tales that uh, each week Mr. Flora and I would select two cryptids, and I am very pleased to announce that I win. Three out of the four yep. selected cryptids were cryptids that I had selected. <laughs> Selected cryptids. Did you guys enjoy that? It was like an entire sentence was a palindrome. (laughs) (laughs) I went through such a journey with you. Yeah, you beat me three to one. Yep. Three of your guys. You had had some sexy beasts in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, enough of the bullshit. The cryptids that we have left Uh are the Bat Squatch. Yep. The Honey Island Swamp Monster. Yep. The Chon Chon. And the Chon Chon. So, your winner. New champion. Is the bat squatch? It's a flapping purple <laughs> creature. It's got as many as a as, as much of a as a fifty foot wingspan, dude. <laughs> it's, it's just, just getting bigger. Oh. It is an amazing flying purple hominid Bigfoot. Yeah. Congratulations, Bat Squatch. And oh, also, uh, in my opinion, a dark horse in this one. Right, really? Yeah. He agreed. really he came out of nowhere to, to to win this competition. And which is funny because all the cryptids come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So thank yeah. thank you all for voting. Thank you all for caring. And for everyone who voted for Bat Squatch, you never gave up hope. <laughs> I want you to give yourself a little pat in the back and say, hey, man, I know quality when I you, see you it. You made a difference. You made a difference yeah. in that poor cryptid's life. Yeah. For all you Chon Chon lovers. Nothing. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> we'll have to figure out if um, if cryptids can reapply or not, or if it's I, a one-shot deal. I don't know. You know, I, you, this is kind of the thing we usually figure out off the mics, but I think it's fun to do it on the mics. <laughs> Does the winner get to return to defend? The I don't crown? know. Oh man, I think she does. That's might have to. Yeah, yeah, might have to. Well, it's interesting. I again, a dark horse for me. Yeah. I, I thought for sure the Oswong was going to take it. Me too. I really did too. I, although there was the, the vocal Chan Chan. You know, what I don't understand this like quiet milling Honey Island Swamp Monster support. Still, yeah, still like uh, garnering votes and, and yeah. getting, it was real popular. I think it won its week hands down too. Right. Which uh, maybe that goes to say the quality of uh, what it was up against that week. But maybe, but I don't know. I don't I know. Think, it's amazing. I'm yeah. very surprised because you don't hear anybody mention it. I've, I get tweets and texts <laughs> about chon-chons and, and ass wings and I've never heard anyone mention it. The <laughs> Honey Island Swamp Monster. Well, so, Congratulations again, Bat Squatch. Yeah. And now comes comes yeah. the fun part. We're not, we're not done congratulating just yet. Yeah, we we set up this little uh, uh, fun bucket to honor you, the listener. That's right. For participating. And the time has come for us to select a listener. From the, uh, the sweepstakes that we uh, asked you to participate in, and you did so wholeheartedly. If grudgingly. <laughs> um, every, every week that you voted, you earned a, a vote. Do you hear this sound? It's a fez filled with 
with crisp pieces of paper with your names on them, yep. all you voters. So we're going to pull one out here. We're going to say the first name. We're mm-hmm. not going to we're not going to give away all your secrets. You need no. some of them. Yeah, we'll protect your anonymity. But uh, you will also get an email from us uh, during the week here, and we'll we'll contact you, get some information, and then we'll send you a bunch of fun. Yep. Shit. And also, just so that everyone knows how great we are, we're totally going to take a picture of the prize package before it goes in the mail. Sure. I mean, you have to know that, that there's some real stuff happening. So here we go. I'm all candy right. craning it right now. Here we now. go. Do you hear all this great Foley work here? Oh, that's sex. That's worse than mouth sounds. <laughs> oh, Nothing's oh, worse what? than mouth sounds. <laughs> that's true. All right. So here we go. We you have cho- chosen a name. Ooh, it's folded in half like a ballot. So let's find out all who right. wins. The winner is... Dave Stecco. Yay! I'm a winner! Ooh! Oh, thank you everybody for trying, but it looks like I won. <laughs> Man, I, thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. And uh it, it's just it's just a rush. It's just fun to be a part of it. I just punched my straw hat. <laughs> no! No. Nope. I was lying. It's not me. Just kidding. The Psych. winner was our listener. Emerson! Emerson. You're a winner! Congratulations. You are uh, a huge winner. You are going to hear hear from us soon. It's yours, yeah. and we'll we'll uh, we'll get all that taken care of. So and, congratulations. Uh, yeah, you deserve it. You've earned it. Thank you for voting. And um, if you don't want the prize pack, we'll never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> Brushed under the carpet. That's right. <laughs> uh, great. So again, thanks everybody. Uh, 2013 Miss Cryptid contest was a lot of fun. We had yeah. a, we had a blast doing it. We learned a lot. Learned a lot about ourselves. Learned a lot about you. Learned a lot about cryptids. <laughs> learned a lot about Charles Barkley. <laughs> oh, Charles Barkley. <laughs> oh man, Bad stinks. <laughs> Bad stinks wins. <laughs> good job. Good job. I feel like the ref gave Bad stinks this one. But. <laughs> Played a hell of a game anyway. I'm Charles Barkley. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there it is. There That's you it. Go. Come to a close. From a, from atop our lofty perch at Podcast Mountain, <laughs> we can finally we can finally say, bid you a good evening. Yep. So for this episode of Blurry Photos, I have been Madam David Floratsky. <laughs> oh, really well done. Uh, <laughs> and I am David the Spark Being Stecco. <laughs> Bye. Bye.